What's up, everyone? It's your boy, Danny Lopriori, and welcome to Off the Cuff. You might know me as the guy from the Basement Yard, Vine, the Lopriori podcast. And while I love to make people laugh, just know that I've struggled with my mental health for most of my life, just like many of you. Here on Off the Cuff, I will be talking with some of the most impactful influencers, athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and mental health experts to have real, unapologetic conversations about mental health and breaking the stigma that surrounds it. This show is for you, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, let's talk Off the Cuff. Welcome back to Off the Cuff. My name is Daniel Priori, and I am joined by professional surfer. Yes, professional surfer. My friend from Australia, he is a mental health advocate as well. He travels and does seminars and speaks anywhere about mental health. He's I'm reading your thing uh, earlier today and I have to immediately get right into surfing. Cooper, what age did you start surfing? Man, thanks for having me. It's it's an honor to be on your show and let you get to know my story a bit better from over the ditch in Australia, but yeah, I mean, I've been surfing my whole life really i'm 28 now i started surfing when i was about seven so a bit over 20 years now i've spent a lot of time in the ocean i I grew up around the beach here in australia just by sydney yeah and my family was really into the beach my dad surfs my dad still surfs every day now he's in his 60s shows how important surfing is to me and my family so yeah i was just down the beach from the age of like seven eight getting pushed into waves by my dad and then straight away kind of showed a bit of talent and yeah, we had kind of been competing in events. We have like little junior events from like the age of 10 and 11. So yeah, yeah, it's been a huge portion of my life. I've spent competing and surfing and traveling around the world, doing what I love, which I'm very grateful for. That's amazing. I love anybody that does like quote unquote extreme sports. I call them sports, but like, you know, like people say like, oh, this is extreme sports. I'm like, I guess it's the sport though. Like we don't have to call it extreme. They're, they're real athletes. First off, when did you first go pro like when you got your first sponsor surfing's a weird one it's not like other sports where it's like bang your pro once you get like skateboarding once you get like a signature deck like right golf once you like go from the amateur surfing like for instance i got a sponsor when i was 10 years old and started getting like some free gear from i'm sure you might have heard of the brand rip curl the surf brand so i got sponsored by them when i was like 11 years old I'd been having a bit of success in these like under 12, under 14 events. And that's where a lot of young surfers start picking up sponsorship, but generally don't start getting paid. Like I won a national title when I was 14 in the sort of under 16 division. And then from the age of 15, my next contract around, I started getting paid. So I guess you'd say I started being professional at the age of 15. All right. So like, it's like, it goes like, Hey, we'll give you free stuff. And then like, Oh shit, we actually have to pay them now. And then it's like, yeah, get a certain age, right? Okay. Yeah. It's kind of like an investment. Like there is some younger guys that are like 12, 13 that have just got like this hyper talent where people do invest in the person, you know what I mean? In the kid going like, if I want this kid, I'm going to have to start paying him younger. So there's bits and pieces that kind of go around like that. I think the great thing now too, with sports, like you brought up skateboarding, surfing, social media has been huge for those in terms of just like getting it out there. Like I'm 33. So like, it was like Kelly Slater. That's all like all we knew. I remember he had a video game out at one point, but like it wasn't like as mainstream as all of these sports have become. You see Nike signing skateboarders and you know, you see all these other big companies like people are getting down with extreme sports. How do you feel about extreme sports? The name extreme sports. Do you feel extreme? I mean, I think there's far more extreme sports than surfing. Yeah. Surfing's a funny one because 
depending on the conditions, it can be extreme and it can be very chilled. So yeah. I can see definitely like big wave surfing, absolutely extreme sport, very dangerous. I think you guys are all nuts. <laughs> I mean, the surfing that I do is more performance, like competitive surfing, which at times we do surf some waves that are quite dangerous. But compared to, say, big wave surfing, I think that's extreme sport, absolutely. Yeah. But, I mean, I've got friends who are base jumpers, friends who are all like the Nitro Circus, Motocross and BMX guys. And to me, that seems extreme. Like one small mistake, you're dead. Whereas for surfing, eh. I mean, like I said, my dad surfs every day. How extreme do you want to call it? But I can definitely see there's extreme elements to it. There's a lot of danger involved in certain things when it comes to surfing, from surfing on a glass piece of board that you're throwing around and tying a rope to your leg so that's getting thrown around within like six foot of you underwater. Like there's definitely elements of it being extreme, but yeah, that's why it's that's too gnarly for me. I can't do it. I I, <laughs> I I lived in like southern New Jersey, which was like on the beach. And I tried surfing a few times. It's fun. But like one time that happened to me was I got thrown off the board and the, the undertow, I guess, just dragged yeah. me down to the bottom of the ocean. I was just sitting on the bottom of the ocean for like 10 seconds. And I just looked up and saw the sun like kind of coming through the ocean. I was like, dude, I need to get the fuck out of here. And it would have felt like a lot more than 10 seconds. too. Oh, It felt like I was down there for I was like, this is it. I decided to come out here. I'm just and now I'm just going to die in this wetsuit. Like this is what's going to happen. There's too many elements. That's the scary thing. It's the elements. Well, that's the most exciting thing I think about surfing and what draws me so much to the ocean is the unpredictability and then the idea of trying to predict the unpredictable. And that's where like good surfing comes from. The best surfers are the ones who can read the ocean the best. And obviously, it's very hard to read something that's changing, but that kind of what is what makes it most exciting. Every single wave you stand up on is going to be different. So you never get that repetitious practice. It's all about adjusting and adapting and being reacting really quickly. So that's why I think I really love surfing. A lot of improvisation in surfing. Yeah. Well, it's just like a lot of creativity and reaction and trying to predict what's going to happen further down the line on the wave so you can choose the right maneuver. So it's there's a lot of um, really fast thinking going on. All right. You're so young, but are you like, no, nah, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go pro and try to like get sponsored by like 14, 15. Or was it something that you just kind of fell into? I mean, I grew up at a beach called North Narrabeen in Sydney in Australia that has a rich history in high performance and kind of very successful surfers. So it was somewhat ingrained in my culture. Like I'd seen the path that can happen with professional surfing. There'd been quite a few very successful people from my beach because going back to the wave thing, if there's a wave that's consistently good based on the location, the conditions, then you're going to produce higher quality surfers more frequently. I was quite lucky in the fact that I was born at a beach where there was quite a lot of former success. So that gave me a bit of a clear path. I had a pretty good understanding once I was the top in my sort of four-year cycle of surfers at my local beach. It showed that I did have a bit of talent. So once I started getting sponsors, my older sister's best friend, who was like three years older, she was a young professional surfer too. And my mom and her mom were best friends. Her name's Laura Enova. And she she ended up winning like a world junior title at our local beach one year. And then she went on to spending quite a long time on the world tour. So I had really good role models that had given me something to aspire towards. Yeah. You got to see it firsthand. Yeah. And then I like started having quite a lot of success as a junior. Like I said, I won like a national title when I was 14. Yeah. Tell me about that. Tell me about that. You're a national champion at 14. Are you just feeling yourself like on another level? 
It's like, yo, what's up? I'm 14 and I'm a national champion. Suck it. <laughs> I mean, I definitely feel like the mindset was a little more like that back then than it would be. Yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you going to be humble when you're 14? It doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. It's funny, isn't it? Just trying to find yourself. But I think when I was that young, I'm trying to reflect right now. I can't remember too much of it. It was at a beautiful place in Western Australia called Margaret River that has like to get to where the waves are, you have to go down like a bit of a cliff front down these like stairs that have been built and a kind of rite of passage when you win an event as a surfer, you get, they call it chaired up the beach where they carry you up on your shoulders and you're not meant to like touch the sand. So winning that one, I got chaired up the cliff, up the um, boardwalk of like all these stairs, which is, which is a pretty cool memory to look back on that. But the coolest thing about winning an Australian title at that young of an age, when you're in the under 16s, which is sort of when you're 14 and 15, and then when you're in the under 18s, you get a chance to represent your country Yep. in um, the junior world titles, and they take four surfers in each age group. And I was lucky enough to qualify for that team for Australia when I was 14, 15, 16, and 17. I'm one of the only surfers that has actually gone all four of their opportunities, which to me, that was probably more special than the Australian title was getting to represent my country and wear my green and gold colors for sure. And just be part of a team environment because surfing is such an individual sport. I do really enjoy the environment of connecting with people and working as a team and for sure doing that. So that was something that, yeah, was pretty special at a young age. That's awesome. Listen, you're winning national titles at a very young age, right? Is there a sort of pressure that comes after that? Did you ever have any brushes with like, you know, being nervous or anxiety, like while you were beginning to surf or was that something that kind of happened a little later in life? I mean, throughout my, and this, this you lined me up very well with this question because this will explain why I got into mental health quite well throughout my junior career from, I'd say 14 to 20, I was quite successful. I was kind of this big fish, small pond in the Australia region. I was kind of in the top let's call it two or three juniors from the age of like 10 in my age division up until I was 20. For me, when it came to like, there was ups and downs for sure. Like I took losses quite hard. I remember as a kid crying almost every time I lost until I was probably about 16 or 17. That's just the love of, of winning though. You know what I'm saying? Deep down, it fucks with you when you're a kid. Losing sucks when you're a kid. You kind of have to learn how now. to lose. Yeah, it sucks now, but like you get, you learn how to lose. You know what I mean? My dad said to me a lot when I was a kid, like, you got to learn how to lose before you learn how to win because you're going to lose a hell of a lot more than you're going to win, especially in a sport like mine, in an individual sport. Yeah. There's 95 losers every event and one winner. Like, I haven't won an event in years, to be honest. So it's like, you got to learn how to lose. But when it came to my mental health and this idea of anxiety and stuff, there was like little bits throughout my junior career, but... I was on this trajectory and I tell this story in my mental health workshops that for me, when I was a junior, I used to base my self-worth and my overall well-being on my achievements and my successes in my surf comp. If you're looking at it like a bit of a wavelength and roller coaster, I was hitting these peaks of good well-being quite often. And then I progressed from the junior to the international tour when I was about 20, 21 and well, actually like 19, 20. And I went from this big fish, small pond to small fish, big pond. And I went, not slid down the rankings, but I went to the international qualifying tour and went from top couple in Australia to sort of rank between 50 and 100 in the world, which looking back is something to be quite proud of. But oh, when wildly you're a insane. There's so many people in the world. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and but when you're a top junior and you kind of go onto that next tour with high hopes and you slide down to there, my mental health was quite affected. And because I was basing my self worth and my personal value on how I achieved that sort of wavelength of like hitting this high well being got a lot more infrequent. Yeah. I started to struggle a little bit with my identity. I felt a bit of shame, like being around people at my local community when I wasn't succeeding as often. And then I went and spoke to my sports psychologist about how I was feeling and what was going on. And he's like, man, it's so common to think like that. So many people aren't communicated a different way to think than to base their self-worth and their overall well-being on their achievements and their successes. And he challenged me. And he said, I want you to think like this. I want you to take this forward in your life and it's going to change the way you think. And he said to me this, he said, I want you to base your life on how well you live to your values. And that was this light bulb moment that completely changed my life. And that sent me on this quest of being curious as to ways to one, discover my values and really hone in on that. And I went on this sort of journey of reading a lot of self-development books, listening to a lot of incredible authors and podcasts, and just being very curious as to ways to improve my performance For sure. as an athlete through the mental side. And yeah, since then, it's just completely changed my outlook on the world, completely changed my outlook on who I am as a person and where I can go in life and how happy I can be by not basing my life worth on that and yeah i think a lot of listeners would probably resonate a lot with that and then you know the thing is too it's like i feel like with men it's like we kind of have to we're only as good as like our last accomplishment sometimes we create this thing in our head especially in like creative head spaces and you know especially in athletics you know it's are we better than you or not that's just what it is so it's like oh this guy's better than me so then we deal with, mm. you know, we, we all have ego, we all have pride, we all have things that we deal with. We're trying to juggle that at the same time. I played like high school sports. The, the farthest I would ever got was college, but like American football. And then it's like, you know, but a lot of times you're often, that's a team sport. Individually, you're comparing yourself to another individual straight up. You know, it's like this actual person, you know, and then you, that starts being jealous. Then you, am I good enough? A lot of self-worth issues, I imagine, when it comes to individual sports. Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's just this lack of understanding of who you are as a person rather than who you are as a product of your result. And I think we all have the ability to change that mindset. And so often we realize that the things that fulfill us the most aren't our achievements anyway. And the more that we can notice that and hone in on that and discover what our values are, the way I describe it is like, do you want to sort of feel happiness and well-being only when you achieve something or do you want to feel it every single day? And that's kind of what I now talk about in my workshops, in my podcast, and is kind of this base of my existence now is just trying to live by values every single day. That's one thing where I think it's okay if you don't play sports and you don't compete in athletics, that's fine. But I think I learned a lot of life lessons through athletics. And I think that it's important, again, for men, I think if you are in sports, like American football taught me a lot about teamwork, you know, who could be a leader, how to pick somebody else up if they've had a bad game. You know, it teaches you how to win and it teaches you how to lose, like we talked about before. I think just sports are a great metaphor for life, especially when you're young and growing up. Like you said, you used to cry. I've been guilty of crying after after a football game or a basketball game, you know, like I just wanted to win that bad. It's one of those things where as you get older, you start to learn to be like a sportsman, right? This sportsmanship. Mm. 
But what I wanted to ask you though, is like, say you go out, right. And you said 95 people lose one person wins. And you mentioned a, a sports psychologist. Can you explain to me just in like, like brief, I'm sure there's so much, obviously it's a, a total science. What's the approach in a sports psychologist office? Oh, it just really depends what I go there to him with. So it's like just a place for one to come with performance and speak about, or, I mean, for instance, I'd go and talk to him and be like, fire, I'm like finding it very hard to be a bit focused before my events. And he gives me like a mindfulness, different little technique or skill. And then sometimes I'll have a session with him and just kind of talk to him about what's going on in my life, like family life and stuff. A lot of it definitely comes from the psychology point of view, as in, like the performance side of it. So I'll go with to him and be like, I'm really struggling once I get to the quarterfinals to lift my performance. And, we'll, and he'll be like, all right, what's holding us back? And then we'll sort of go through a process and be like, it seems like we'll look back through my scores and then we'll look through data and be like, oh, well, you're generally not lifting your scores by the time you get to the quarterfinals. The scores are kind of staying pretty stagnant. Maybe we need to throw a bit more risk in your surfing in here. Like how are you going to be able to let go to do that? And just sort of talk me through strategies. But then on top of that, I come back to him with this mindset thing where I said, like, oh, I'm really struggling because I'm basing myself around my achievements and just like challenging me. He'll be like, why do you feel like that? And then I'll be like, oh, it's because I think I'm trying, like, I feel nervous to go to the beach and talk to my friends after because I feel this shame that I'm not achieving what I should be. And then that's kind of what opened up this next question for him to be like, well, why are you basing your self-worth around your achievements? And I'm kind of like, well, I don't know. And he'll be like, yeah, identity shouldn't be around this. So it's just like process and just talking. And I feel like once we've how we're feeling sometimes, it just, whether it be to a psychologist or a friend, it just gives us an opportunity to have a second opinion. But also sometimes when you verbalize how you're feeling, it makes you realize how silly some of the self-beliefs and the self-talk we have is. I've said that so many times on this show, Cooper. It's outrageous. <laughs> I talk to myself all the time. Because I need to verbalize how ridiculous this thought in my brain is. <laughs> yeah, me too. And then like, I'll get to a point, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's a little ridiculous. It's a freeing practice. It really is. Mm. For me, 100%. So like with self-talk, if you ask yourself, one, is it true? Generally, you're not going to get past the is it true step. But if it is true, then you go, is it helpful? Very rarely is like, criticism and negative self-talk going to get past both of those stages and if it does then yeah sweet then you go and work on it but if it doesn't in my mind you can just drop it to the side in terms of you know you're having some identity issues right yeah you're also doing this but also you've had suicide affect you personally yeah so i guess this is where the whole mental health side comes into it to be honest right now i'm transitioning out of my surf career into a career as a speaker podcaster whatever you want to call it and the journey for me, I didn't realize started with that story where I talked about this idea of discovering values. So throughout my 20s, I was always very curious as to how can I improve my mental health for one, for performance, but then I discovered all these incredible techniques that are just improving my well-being overall. And then when my when I, about three and a half years ago now, my youngest sister was in her last year of high school and lost a friend suicide and came home and was just sort of sitting around the dinner table and let us know. And she wasn't super affected, to be honest wasn't a close friend. It was just somebody in a year that she knew, but still very hard for a young person to deal with somebody they know taking their own life. Two weeks later, she came home and another friend had taken his life. 
And I just kind of remember sitting around the dinner table with my family. I have two other sisters. I've got three sisters, my mum and dad, and just kind of being like, far out. Like, why is there kids? I like living, grew up in a beautiful part of the world. Like, why is there kids taking their own life? Like, right. And I started to look a little bit more into the statistics and the data, and it was quite confronting. And I was like, you know what? Maybe I can help some people. Maybe these incredible things I've learned over the last 10 years can benefit somebody else if I find a way to communicate it right. And then I saw, a small niche in the fact that I'm a young pro surfer, maybe it'll cut through to some students. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to develop a little program and put together all my best sort of tips for my mental health. And I went and started doing workshops with kids at schools, just went back to my old school. And yeah, that's kind of the inception of what I call the good human factory, which is my mental health organization. And yeah, it's been going around for two years now to schools and corporate groups and just sharing very simple things. And that's what I've discovered the mental health industry, and I don't know what it's like in America, but I can almost guarantee it's very similar, is very dominant at being around mental illness. Yes. 95% of the mental health industry is around mental illness, but only 20% of mental health in Australia is mental illness statistically. So the resources I felt like were very, so one in five Australians statistically will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their life. There's 20% of Australians will be diagnosed with a mental illness, but mental health is 100% of the spectrum, not just the one in five. And that's what I really try and show people. Look, history is so dominant on this idea around having to help the people that are the one in five, which is so important. But that's not my place, I felt like, in the industry. My place is to inspire and empower people to take action. This is all-encompassing. Yeah, exactly. It's more this holistic approach like, hey, empower you to realize, you know what, if you practice gratitude every single day, the science literally shows you're going to be a happier person. Practicing gratitude is releasing serotonin and oxytocin in our brain. It's quite literally making you a happier person. There's a lot of studies that show people who are willing to do kind things rate higher on happiness tests. So it's like trying to communicate this in a fun, engaging way to my participants, but then also talk about mindfulness and the power of being present more often and the power of kindness and the power of gratitude. There's just so many little things that I've learned that might take up one minute of your day that can have a profound effect. For sure. That's yeah, the whole basis of what the Good Human Factory tries to deliver. Let's stay on that. Can you take me through like a, a typical workshop? Like what, there's some activities. Are you mainly speaking? Is it guest speakers? Do you bring people in? Is it mainly you? No, so it's just me. So I run like a, a 60 minute interactive workshop. It basically, I have a presentation behind me. I have these, actually, I'll try and explain it to your listeners. So I use this bucket as a bit of a visual metaphor. So I have a bucket out the front and it's got five holes in it. It's a transparent bucket so you can see through it. And the metaphor is when this bucket's full, I have my mental health is poor. So I have a certain capacity to deal with before I overflow and get to mental illness. And then I start the workshop explaining my story, talking about kind of what I just did, this idea of if you live to values, then we can live a fulfilled life every day. Going to explain the bit more statistics around mental health and why it's important. And then I go, all right, who's lost a family member? To sickness or illness, I just has had a family member pass away and it's been hard on their mental health. Majority of the room's handle go up. I have a smaller bucket with water. I pour it in the big bucket. It fills up a bit. I say, who's had an injury or an illness and it's been hard on their mental health? They haven't been able to do what they love. A lot of hands will go up. Who's had a relationship breakup? It's been hard on their mental health. Hands will go up. Who's been bullied? So I show all these blanket things that we all in the room agree 
are hard on our mental health and I fill this bucket up and it's got five holes on the side of the bucket with stickers covering it. Yeah. And then over the next 30 minutes, I go, so these are the five values that I use to empty this bucket every day and I peel a sticker off and water pours out. So you get this visual of my mental right. health getting better, the bucket emptying as the workshop goes on, as I explain my five techniques and five values that I live by. So the first one I talk about is responsibility and just explain this idea that we have to take responsibility for our mental health, no matter who you are, no matter the incredible people around you or resources you have around you, unless you're willing to communicate with people around you, unless you're willing to take action, right? whether that action is taking an antidepressant, doing something is how you change, you know what I mean, in a positive way. So I start with responsibility and then I go and say, the next things you're going to hear about won't have any effect unless you take responsibility and try them. So then the second one I talk about is gratitude, talk about this idea and I'll share it with your audience. Actually, it's a really good one. For one, the science about it, I share excerpt from one of my podcasts, episodes with a neuroscientist talking about the effects of different things in our brain. And she speaks about what happens when we show gratitude to others. It quite literally changes neural pathways in our brain and the plasticity in our brain to be happier by releasing serotonin and oxytocin by showing gratitude to others and also reflecting on our life. So I share with participants this idea that it's quite hard to create a new habit and you tell someone practice gratitude every day and they go, oh, I'll do it for a day or two and they forget. What I say now is when you brush your teeth every day, every single person brushes their teeth at night, hopefully. Yeah, right. Hopefully. Yeah. Think back (laughs) to your day. What went well during your day today? And it's a good opportunity to build a habit around something that is already a habit. So when you brush your teeth, while you're brushing, go, all right, what went well today? Oh, I had a conversation with James at work. That was nice. Oh, I ate a piece of food that was good today that I really enjoyed. I had my favorite food for lunch. That was nice. Oh, I did a workout today. Felt good. That was nice. When we reflect back through our day and take a moment and build it on top of another habit, that's a really good one that I try and encourage people to do. So that's like part of the workshop. Yeah, you can kind of trick your brain a little bit into like getting a new habit. I like that. Exactly. It's like it's called habit stacking. I learned it from a book by James Clear, incredible author. But this idea, or maybe it's called atomic habits. Sorry, it's not called habit stacking. That's like the theory in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know how hard it is to form a habit, but we already brush our teeth. So if it's just a yeah, if it, yeah, exactly. Especially good ones. Bad habits are easy to form. But yeah, so if you stack on top of, oh, I'm brushing my teeth. I remember that guy on that podcast I listened to said, when I brush my teeth, think back to what you're grateful for from that day. And instead of being, I'm grateful, you can choose blanket gratitudes, but it's important to make them really daily and moment, like choosing moments in your day that were good because then it turns it into a melt mindset. So yeah, gratitude's my second one. The third one I talk about is empathy and this idea that we're all running a different race. We're all on a completely different timeline of the journey. So there's no point in comparing yourself to somebody else, whether they're ahead or behind you. Yeah. So often we judge someone if they're like, or they're not as smart as us, or but then we also judge someone if they're smarter than us. So it's like this idea of dropping judgment and building empathy. Yeah, it's constant. It's an absolute paradox. But yes, I talk about empathy. Then I go on to talk about mindfulness and meditation as a bit of a practice, take them through a really interesting mindfulness school where we like focus on what we can see for 30 seconds, focus on what we can hear for 30 seconds, focus on what we can feel for 30 seconds. And this is a way to really bring us back to the present moment, uncover how we're actually feeling so that if we're not feeling great, then we can do something about it. Or if we are feeling great, we can be grateful for it. And then the fifth value I talk about is kindness. So as I'm going through all of these things, I'm peeling stickers off the bucket and water's pouring out. Visually, you're watching this bucket lower and my mental health get better. So it's just trying to like make it engaging, fun, engaging. Have some simple like cut. Yeah. And then see, see it happen in real time. 
you know, it's nice to have a visual for sure. And just give people simple take home, easy to implement skills. Like the gratitude brushing your teeth one is so easy. The practicing, like listening a bit better when I talk about empathy, then the idea of like, oh, this is a skill that you can do from looking around, listening to what you can hear. And it actually helps our physiology to calm down and to be present. And then when I talk about kindness, I break kindness into three categories, being kind to yourself, being kind to others and being kind to the environment. So I do a drill where to be kind to ourselves, we do three deep breaths and I talk through a breathing exercise that I've learned through surfing, how to lower our heart rate, lower our stress, lower our anxiety, just through our breath. And it's something we all do all day, every day, yet a lot of us aren't doing it in a way that's beneficial for So I talk us through some diaphragm breathing and it lowers our heart rate. So it's just giving these like little 30 second a minute drills from 30 seconds while you're already brushing your teeth, gratitude, spend a minute each day being mindful. Just look around what you can see, hear and feel. Spend a minute a day just breathing deeply. They're like the tiniest little things that 90% of us aren't doing. I'm just trying to encourage people to develop really easy habits. And that we all have have the capability. Like I've said too, like with mental health being like where it's at now, I love where the awareness is at. But with awareness comes like scammers, people not having the right intentions, oversaturations, products that are created, you know, strap this to your head and this will do that. Or, you know, there's just, there's just a lot of stuff, especially when there's an influx of awareness. But I also, the thing I, I respect about you too is that on this show, you know, it's you don't have to be sufferer to help the suffering. Mm. I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding that in the mental health space where it's like, well, I'm only going to listen to this guy because he almost killed himself. Or I'm only going to listen to this guy because he tried to kill himself and it didn't work. Or I'm only going to listen to this guy because he was in jail for 45 years. You know, it's there's things that, especially that the mental health community, I'm diagnosed bipolar type two. It's almost nice to see. It's like, it, uh, like an ally connection people that are like, hey, like I don't necessarily have mental illness, but I want to help people that might end up suffering from mental illness or haven't been diagnosed yet. I think it's I think it's very important to have outside influence. Because everybody like you said, everybody's timeline's different. Everybody's story is different. Everybody deals with things differently. Well and that's where I feel like my niche is doing so well in schools. I'm getting so many teachers come up to me and be like, oh are you nothing like this organization because it was a suicide survivor or it was somebody in a wheelchair coming in. And as a kid, that doesn't inspire you. That leaves you in fear. And so often, as we see it in all media, we try and operate through fear to make people do something. Whereas for me, I like to be inspired to do something. I want to make the decision myself. And that's where I've learned that so many teachers are like, oh, the kids have never been so engaged. It's because I'm trying to offer them practical, fun, and turn it into an engaging environment. And like you said there, like so often people have this preconception that you have to be suffering to offer advice. And it's like, well, why don't we tap into the people who aren't suffering, what they're doing and offer that to people who are suffering? Like not even it's a, not even about suffering. Like the whole thing is like we are all on a spectrum of mental health to mental illness from right. this spectrum. And we're all moving up and down it from time to time. Sure. And what I'm trying to do is I like to think of it like life is almost like a treadmill that's dragging us from mental, good mental health to mental illness. And we're all walking against it just at different paces. And I'm trying to give people the skills to be able to walk against it at a faster pace so that when life does speed up and throw some of these really difficult times at us, you can walk back against it. And that's what so many people are ill-equipped for 
these difficult times that happen to us all. Like you never know when something catastrophic or traumatizing might happen in your life. Yeah. And you want to be prepared for it. Exactly. And that's what I'm trying to do. Upskill. It's about mental health maintenance and build daily habits so that when we do slip, we can come back to them. Like I said before, you know, and I do really think it's important that people who, like you said, it is a spectrum, right? So like, I kind of look at mental health as like, everyone has like their little like own Marvel universe, right? You could be Iron Man, but like you have to have a team of Avengers that do other things different than you, you know, that can kind of pick your brain and be part of your team, right? So it's like, I have bipolar, right? When I'm manic, you know, it's like my fiance is like, you know, a part of my team, you know, and it's very good for her to know exactly what my condition is, what I deal with, because it's also just spreading the education around mental mental health and like the spectrum you said, mental health and mental illness. This is stuff that, you know, hey, I don't necessarily deal with this, but my brother has this. So what you're saying, like I could take home my brother and teach him and I could actually work with him on it. Mm. You know, like there's a lot, there has to be education that touches everybody, especially not just those that are suffering. Because listen, if you have a brother that's manic depressive, right? You're going to be suffering too. It's almost like a trickle-down effect. So it, it can affect entire households. For sure. And it's about finding what works for you. And that's what for so sure. many people, I think, struggle with. will try meditation for 10 minutes, not be able to stop their mind and be like, nah, it's not for me. You're not going to go to the gym and do 10 sit-ups and have a six-pack. No. Like these things, are, these things are skills and they're practices. And that's what I've discovered in my own curiosity is that there is so much incredible information out there from a million different authors who all have a different take on what works well for them. And we have to have this curiosity to find what works for us. And that comes from taking responsibility. And you never know what book you might pick up that might change your life for the better. Like you're looking for one percenters all the time. That's what I, my whole life is around. Find one percenters continually. If it's from a book, if it's from a podcast, if it's from a conversation with someone, there's just information to be had out there everywhere. And it's like, it's about time, like timing. Like you might hear someone might be listening to this podcast today and not really think much of it. And then they might re-listen to it in a few months and then be like, oh, I really, ne- I really needed to hear that. So it's just about having this awareness of, yeah, just sort of reality we're in and just always being willing to grow and learn. I think that's what so many people miss out on in life. And I think that's why people struggle is they get very stagnant and become very comfortable. Yeah. We get stagnant. We get comfortable, like, especially with COVID too. Uh, like that just increased yeah. everything. Like the whole world was stagnant. I think, especially with the work that you do, it's something that is almost the stigma of mental health is that it's always so fucking dark. Yeah. You know, it's just darkness and like this. And I think if it's portrayed a certain way, especially with the younger generation, because a lot of the stuff that they take in is like depressing shit. You know, like Mm. music's kind of depressing. Movies can be depressing. TV shows are depressing. You know, they kind of fits into all of this, this shell of like, it's almost niche to like be sad. How it's shown, you know, how we consume information now. I think what you're doing is kind of showing that there is a light in all of us, really, that we can turn on. And this is what these small habits that you're talking about. Things that we're learning about constantly, either from reading or conversations with friends, making this a normal conversation to have with your family. Even for you, like you, you talked about how you sat down at dinner and like, it was like, oh, like, yeah, like somebody else killed themselves today. And it was almost like as if it were normal. That's tough. And, and for you to actually make a stand and be like, no, like you guys understand what's going on here. There's like some crazy shit going on here. Yeah. I think it's just, 
developing an understanding and being open-minded to so many people get told something and they're like, no, nah. it's like, you got to learn to just like, I'll listen to anything. Even if I know they're wrong, I'll kind of try and work out why they're thinking like that. And like, I just think having like a curious mind is so important with every part of life. And that's led me to where I am today and just sort of having a go at things. Like, yeah, yeah. I, that's the only way you can really learn. Exactly. Fail, fail, fail. It's, yeah. It's like, you know, it's, if I were to stack up the triumphs and the fails in my life, like I'd have more fails than triumphs, but like my fails are dope. Exactly. I always say it's like, at least you tried is such an understated, like an underrated statement. Yeah. You know, like when I have friends ask me, it's like, Oh, like, should I do comedy? Like, should I start a podcast? Should I sing? Should I do this? I'm like, yo, do all that shit. Mm. Do all of it. Me too. If you have the time and you have the ideas and you believe in yourself and you feel creative in that moment, just create. Yeah, absolutely. So many people are waiting and you love this quote. So I use this all the time and I live by this is the act of confidence comes before the feeling of confidence. It's this idea that so many people are waiting for the feeling before they go and do something. But a lot of the time it doesn't come. Almost always it doesn't come. You build confidence through doing the thing. Like I had a friend recently post something about podcasting who's a good mate of mine, a big podcaster about like, People always complaining that they don't have the right equipment, that they don't have this. It's like you can record a full episode with your iPhone with the audio quality and the video quality of an iPhone, no worries, yeah. and upload it. And he's like, so people don't start. And it's like, we'll just do it with that. And then people are like, oh, I'm not good. It's like, well, I wasn't good my first episode. I still feel like I'm not good. Like, I'm like the best way to learn is to do. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Kanye West. I don't know if you watched his documentary on Netflix. I've watched bits of it. I need to like watch it a bit closer of it. When you talk about confidence, it's like, no, nah, he's like, I'm going to do this, but he also put the work in, you know? Yeah. So when you mix confidence, confidence is the most important thing that I think an individual could try to increase and live with every day because we just need it to survive, right? Yeah. We need to be confident human beings. But then it's like, all right, so now I'm going to mix this with the work ethic as well. You almost make yourself undeniable in terms of, not everybody's going to be a Kanye West. Not everybody's going to be uh, the richest person in the world. It's like going to the gym. There's always going to be a dude that can lift more weight than you. You got to have 95 losers, right? On that day, somebody yeah. was better than you. Is that just going to make sure that you're, you're just not going to try and get better now? People have to understand that there are things that come naturally to people. Yes, there are things that happen that way. People can be naturally taller. People can be naturally stronger. The thing that separates us is how much we really want to work at what we're confident in our abilities. Be confident in yourself. Because I tell people all the time, like like you said, I had a friend that I know that worked in a, in a sneaker store here in New York City. He was like, yo, Danny, I just want to talk. Like, can I talk to you for an hour about like starting a podcast? I was like, yeah. I was like, yo, do you have an iPhone? And he was like, yeah. I was like, yo, you got it, bro. Mm. Just, you know, turn that shit sideways though. You know, I'm just like, you know, just like turn it sideways, hit record. You know, I was like, dude, I'm willing to help you. Like, send me the video. And then if I can give you any pointers in this, I'm like, I'm looking for pointers too. It's the willingness to be, to give, but you have to be almost like a sponge as well. It's like, yo, like there's shit I want to learn. Oh, you have to be willing to, like, if you go into it expecting it, like I always say, like, if you're happy with your first product that you put out, then you've waited too long to put it out. You learn through the experience and trial and error. And so often you put out something that feels like the perfect product or the perfect episode and it flops. And then you put out something that, so it's just like trial and error and finding what works for you. And I just think the whole idea of, and this is a mindset I'm really taking into everything I do with life now is if I just make sure I try my hardest at something, 
and give it my absolute all with like grit, determination and confidence and I fail, then I don't care. Like it's completely fine by me. Like all I can do is the best I can do. And it gives me a lot of solitude in not winning surf events. I'm like, if I tried my best and I lost, like all good, I'll try and find what I could have done better and learn from it. But I'm not going to be disappointed in the outcome if I gave it my all. Yeah. So let me ask you this, being a professional athlete, right? You said you're transitioning out of professional surfing, right? Is that something yeah. like, do you still have like the desire to compete? Is there, does competition still have something to do like with your overall personality? Like, do you almost need it to function still? Or is it something that, you know, it's like in your heart, it's like, oh, I don't really need that, that anymore. I still feel like I get it though in my own way, just in a different avenue now. I feel like I'm potentially in the surfing environment i don't have the same sort of passion for competing that i did from you know what i mean from the age of 10 to the age of 25 there was a far deeper passion that i feel whereas now i'm in this new exciting chapter of my life where i'm starting a business and starting to get cool little wins and starting to grow that and i mean getting opportunities like this to come on your podcast like i'm getting noticed for something outside of my sport which i'm loving like i feel like i'm a 14 year old kid again in the way of getting little wins like when a podcast does well or like I put out some, a bit of content that does well or I go and do a workshop with a bunch of corporates and I get good feedback. Like right. I'm competitive with myself in that avenue now. I still feel like I get that competitiveness, but it's not like versing anybody. It's almost like you're, you verse yourself, but like, you know, in a good way. It's, it's, I think a lot of people are afraid to confront themselves on a lot of things, but like, you know, I think that's something that's very beneficial for human beings. Yeah. And because, like I said, I'm going into it now with this mindset, like as long as I give it my best and I, because I'm like, I look at myself like I'm an apprentice at podcasting, at running workshops, at all this stuff, because I am, I'm like two years into something. Like I saw how long it took me to get to the level I was at in surfing in the top hundred in the world. If I have to put that much time in to get to that level of success in sort of speech bubbles, in public speaking, in running a business, then it's going to take me 12 to, you know, I mean, 10 to 15 years. Like I'm learning quite quickly not to be naive with business. Cause like you expect like, Oh, boom, I've gone from the top there. Everyone look at me to now I'm just this guy learning again. And it's really humbling to be like, Oh, I love getting stuff wrong and asking questions and learning something new, like learning like a new hack on how to edit a video a bit quicker. Like I learned, there's a cool new feature like on Premiere. On I'm a big fan of YouTube, YouTube University. I need to get better at YouTube. I'm not like, I'm not a turn to YouTube guy. I'm like, oh, I can't do this and put an Instagram story up before I like, you know, sometimes your like learning process is different. I was like, that I too. need to get better it, at it. But the thing is, it's like, you talk to all these people about like social media business, right? So it's like, dude, like I tell people my story is, I'm a good singer and I was singing on the Vine app and like I blew up on there. You know what I mean? And it's like people just have to be willing to adapt and like learn. I had to learn how to cut videos. I had to learn how to how to edit. I had to learn how to like make stuff like shootable. What kind of equipment do, do I want to use? Not necessarily the most expensive, but like what am I going to do and what exactly do I need? So like when you kind of get into that world, that's where you it's good to ask as many questions as possible. When it comes to being like, how can I just make it a little bit better? Anything could be a little bit better, but just make the content that you love to do. Like, that's why people fuck with me so much is because my shit's like raw. I don't have to put like bells and whistles and sound effects and all this other shit. Like people are just like, dude, we just want you like singing and rapping. 
Mm, that's cool. Whatever is authentic to you, just do it. Just put it out. And so often people look up to different creators and influencers and whatnot that they're inspired by and expect to put out something as high a quality as them. But it's like, you got to realize that when they started, they would dog shit at whatever they did too. Like everybody, everybody learns and we're like comparing our chapter one to somebody's chapter 20. It's like perspective is everything. And so many people aren't willing to start because they're not as good as the best. And it's crazy that we have that mindset. Like I always look at like, podcasts that are like some of the biggest in the world and i'm like oh why aren't i doing those sort of numbers like i'm not getting the growth that i want this month and then i'm also like far out like i'm so early in my journey like i'm literally like turning the first couple pages right now in my journey that's the thing it's like people have to enjoy the journey and there are peaks and valleys like where you're really up and then like you're really down like it's just part of it so like if you're looking to get into like the influencer space i'm not I, i know you're right now i'm just saying to the listener it goes back to what I said. There's always probably going to be somebody faster than you, stronger than you, smarter than you. You can't just constantly be looking at other people and being like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do it like that. You have to just say, listen, what makes me different? What intangibles do I have? And trust in your abilities. And then be willing to put the work in when you can't do things. You know, I didn't know how to use Final Cut when I started. You know what I mean? I didn't know how to use Logic before. I had to sit down. I went on YouTube and I was like, all right, I'm going to let this guy teach me how to use Logic and how to use Adobe and all that shit. That's what I find. This is kind of gone a little off track, but this idea of people like not having time. I just relate this to money because I've got a few friends who are doing um, finance and like trading courses, like have a trading coach and like that are killing it right now, day trading. I'm like, we're willing to work 40 hours in a normal work week for somebody else to make like $20 an hour. If you invested 40 hours into learning how to day trade, I could almost guarantee you'll make more money after like a few months. So it's like we substitute our time for learning for money rather than for learning so often where we can like compound our make more money. I just like relate to that a bit with what you're saying. Yeah. I'm like that too. Cause it's like, oh, it's like, I do this for a living. And it's like, oh, if I didn't make as much money as I did last month, it's like, all right, we got to just go a little bit harder on this other thing. You got to be constantly be evolving, like constantly creating, like what more can I do? Yeah. And just always researching and learning. I'm sure you listen to, you listen to other podcasts, you watch content, but I watch content like with a creative eye. Like for me, for instance, like TikToks, and I don't know how much you use TikTok, but yeah, it's a massive platform. And I feel like it's one of the main and only ways to grow authentically right now, yeah, organically sure. without having to, without having to use paid advertising. And for me, it's been really cool. This idea of being authentic. I've always been trying to post my surf content and never really blown up my profile with that been trying to like find my place. And now I've just been going really hard on podcast assets and finding the best little juicy bits from all my episodes. And now a few of them have gone like super viral and my like profiles growing for my podcast, which is just authentically me doing what I love rather than trying to do a trend video. It's like, ah, so nice to, and it just feels better. Cause I can feel like if you're a creator, that's not being authentic, it's taxing having to put a mask on every time you do yeah, something. Yeah, it's a lot. And listen, it's like, I just tell people, I'm like, dude, if you're going to get anywhere close to this world, just try to be yourself. Because if you're not, it's just like, it's it's just way harder than it has to be. Exactly. You know, just why make your life harder than it has to be? Like, you know, it's it works smarter, not harder. And I tell people that all the time. You just have to figure out what works for you. And I watch other podcasts saying, all right, what can I do different? 
like on my podcast, you know, on this one, I try to ask questions that people usually don't ask. And then also on my other podcast, it's like, I'm like, yo, we're going to start every episode with a new song every week. So like, you know, we, you know, we create, we do a new song every week. You know what I mean? So it's like, nobody's doing that really. And then I was like, all right, like, let's, let's do it. There's just little things. Like I said, with your intangibles, there's things that you could do better than other people. And then there's the things that people could do better than you. That's just what it is. That's how it works. And then the willingness to collab. If everyone just fucking helped each other, nobody would have to work a nine to five. Yeah. Yeah. I think just like starting stuff. So many people aren't like, yeah, waiting for the right moment. Like for instance, and realizing that things grow. Like for instance, I have these things on Instagram called the 1% Good Club, which is part of the Good Human Factory, where every morning I send a 10 minute guided meditation. And every night I start a gratitude little train of messages and it's an accountability group. So it's a little reminder. Oh, here's a meditation try today. Oh, here's that person's three gratitudes. I'll write mine today. And it started, I did it for myself because I needed accountability to look after my own and do these two little daily habits. It's called the 1% club because 10 minute meditation, four minutes of gratitude, 14 minutes is 1% of your day. So it's 1% if you meant 1% of your day for your mental health. So any, Anyway, I started and put out on Instagram saying, I want to join these groups. I want to keep myself accountable, get involved with me. I'll give you a meditation every morning to try and we'll write our gratitudes every night. It started with like 40 people the first day, kind of through my Instagram signed up. And now it's at like 900 people every single day. Right. Right. Like each week I count the gratitudes. And like last week. Can you send us the link? So we can put it in the thing. Yeah. Well, if anyone wants to check it out, it's li- I'll send you the link to the Good Human Factory Instagram. But all you got to do is just send at the Good Human Factory, a direct message saying, I want to join the club and you'll get added into a group. There's like 30 people in each group because Instagram group chats max out at 32. Yeah, yeah. But it's really cool. What the, what it's done is created these little sub-communities because every day it's the same 30 people you've seen, right? Their gratitude. So you begin to know their life, but they're complete strangers to you. And people support each other. It's, it's been a fascinating little experiment, but it's just grown into this thing now where, yeah, every week there's like thousands of gratitudes getting written in and you just feel like such good vibration from it. That's good. I love that. I love that. See, like you're you're an earth dude. <laughs> you know what I mean? I could tell like so some people are just more grounded, connected. Grounded and connected and like cohesive with just like the earthly surroundings. That's a, that's a something that I hope I could be a little bit more. Sometimes I get lost in the sauce. Nah, I appreciate that. It's taking time to get to that. Yeah, yeah. I get jealous when I see like, ah, oh, this dude's grounded. It's jealousy for two seconds and then then it's inspiring. Nah, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's it's a nice compliment to receive. (laughs) Yeah, man. No, it's just, you know, I I really feel like the energy we do put out in the world is very important. That's why I just try to keep my life as positive as possible, whether it's business or whether it's personal. As Mm. I've gotten older, I've been very more into just like, let's just take a minute to like be happy we're alive. Cooper, I could talk to you for hours and I I would do that, but (laughs) you're you're a busy guy. I I cannot believe that you woke up this early in Australia to hang out with me. So I really do appreciate that. Cooper, where can everybody find you on the internet? And do you have anything to promote? The floor is yours. Let the people know. I mean, my Instagram is just at Cooper Chapman. That's probably my most common platform to use. And then the Good Human Factory is just at the Good Human Factory. If you want to learn more about like my workshops that I do, I do run them remotely over Zoom, corporate groups and stuff. It's been very well received. That's just at thegoodhumanfactory.com, the website. You can check out that. I actually did just bring out a bunch of really cool merch that's like around being kind to your mind and gratitude, which has been cool. Ship internationally if there's any international people out there listening from America. I'm sure your audience is far more American 
But yeah, just check out at the Good Humor Factor on Instagram. The main thing I like to promote is that 1% Good Club. If you're a bit curious right now listening and you're like, you know what, I could dedicate, I need to dedicate a bit more of my time to my mental health, send at the Good Human Factory a DM, say I want to join the club, you'll get added into just a group of like-minded people. I like trying to build resources and have more to my business than just this one-dimensional workshops. I've got the community of the 1% Club. I've got my workshop. I've got my merch. I've got my podcast. Yeah, you got these extensions on yourself. Yeah, just trying to diversify what I do and offer different platforms for people to be inspired to, yeah, look after their mental health. And like we spoke about this whole podcast, just trying to make mental health cool, accessible, and people to think a bit differently about it. Love it. And this is the last question I ask this question at the end of every episode. Are you happy today? I'm very happy today. I appreciate you asking. That's it. We got to check in with each other from time to time. I, love Listen. It. I end every one of my episodes. I'll have to have you on mine. I'd love to have you on as a guest and learn 100%. your story too. I'll finish with you. What does being a good human mean to you? At this moment, it's being good to other humans. Being good to other humans. Realizing that we share this planet. You know what I mean? We share this earth with each other. We share emotions. We share hardships. We share ups. We share downs. You know, like I said, we, we are all in like kind of our own Marvel universe. You know what I mean? And it's like, you know, empathy, I, empathy. And then it's also like, you know, we have like, even like, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with the term uh, NPCs mm, nah. in video game culture. An NPC is a non-playable character. So uh-huh. it's like when you walk outside, right, we have like our own simulations where like we have neighbors and shit, but we don't, but we don't know them. You know, but it's like, oh, like they're there to be interacted with. So it's like, hey, if like a guy's like walking down and he has a cool dog and I have a cool dog, I'm gonna be like, hey, cool dog. Just reality is connecting. It's crazy. Reality is connecting. It's like I've always said to people, it's like, dude, like I'm on somebody's like wall in the background of a picture somewhere. You know what I mean? Like in some weird family's house. Like I exist in like, like in their own, like their timeline and shit. Mm. So it's like we get blessed with like these little NPCs that are outside all the time. And it's like, oh, it's nice (laughs) to like just go out and like be a good human to other human beings, you know? Yeah. We're living in a Truman show, huh? Yeah. But it's also just like, hey, like if a dude's having a shitty day and like, you know, I'm just like, hey, how's it going, man? And he's like, hey, it's little, little things. It's like, all right, like somebody cared enough to ask me how. I was. Exactly. That's the paradox of what I was talking about before with this idea of kindness. It's quite literally making you be happier scientifically as well by being kind to other people. And once we can lean into that. Like humans are like, we're naturally selfish, right? So it's like in time, it's like we want to make other people feel good because it makes us feel good. That sounds fantastic to me. I know we're super conscious of time, but let me tell you one really quick story about this with this idea of kindness. I was in Japan for a surf comp. This really changed my mind around kindness and just what you said. I was in Japan for a surf comp and me and three of my friends had lost in the first round of the event. We're all pretty disappointed, feeling down in ourselves. So we caught the train into Tokyo and we bought ourselves some stuff, kind of retail therapy, like we've all grown up around in the Western world. We come back home to where we're staying. We're having sushi for dinner with the guy making us sushi and having a chat to him. He's like, how's your day? And we're like, oh, it was pretty disappointing this morning. We lost in the event. We went and bought ourselves something and we're now feeling pretty good. And he's like, oh, you guys have got it all wrong in the Western world. We're like, what do you mean? You guys think when you're having a bad day, go and buy yourself something nice. We here in Japan say, and in my culture, we say, when you're having a bad day, go and do something nice for somebody else. That'll actually make you feel good. That's true. That's what I'll leave you with. If everybody listening right now can reflect on a moment right now where you've done something nice for somebody, how did it make you feel? Made you feel good. So next time you're feeling average, go and do something nice for somebody else. So I'll leave you with that. I agree. And and I think sometimes the word selfish has like a a bad stigma as well. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's just like, you know, like take care of ourselves. The word self isn't selfish. 
And by taking care of ourselves, we're helping other people at the same time. I'm just trying to make people's days better, bro. Me too. Me too. Cooper, listen, Cooper Chapman, everybody. You can find him on Instagram at Cooper Chapman, right? That's it. At Cooper Chapman. You're the man, dude. I really do hope one day uh, you could teach me how to surf a barrel. Surf a barrel. Let's do it one day. We'll try to get you to Kelly Slater's wave for a bit. It's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, one last plug. If you do want to hear me talk more on the sort of stuff I talk about, I do have a podcast called Good Humans with Cooper Chapman as well. I'll have you on soon. But yeah, thanks for having me. It's been great to get up and have a chat and share my story a bit more. Thank you so much. And I cannot believe that you were this happy this early in the morning. I'm going to have to steal some tricks from you. But uh, yeah, guys, you can find us everywhere at one one OTC on Instagram. Follow there. We post all our clips. TikTok as well. My name is Daniel LaPiori and we are out of here. Thanks for joining me on another episode of Off the Cuff presented to you by 101 Life. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and send us some love with a review. And don't forget, we're all in this together and you're never alone. Peace. Fate. Entertainment. Ah!